Shalom everyone and welcome. We are so excited because today we have some special guests here with us here and uh, we're going to be talking about I think a topic that is so important for the current culture wars, um, the, the current world, the current conversations that are going on in the world regarding faith, um, regarding some regarding people calling out hypocrisies and regarding people leaving the faith and regarding the, 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 the truth of what is true, how do we determine truth, how do we define truth. And we're going to talk ultimately about the life of Yeshua, how to walk as he walked. Um, I want to start off by just introducing to you all um, some special guests that me and Christina have uh, today. And that is Luke and Katie from The Way documentary, as you may well know them. Uh, Luke and Katie, thank you guys so much for joining us. I'm so excited to chat with you guys. Yay. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. This is exciting. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what this is going to be. I'm I'm so excited about the conversation. Um, I want you guys to just start off. You guys have a new project, and I want you to just introduce what that is to everyone and what you're trying to accomplish by it. Okay, you want me to do it? Yeah. Go All ahead. right. So it's a book called The Truth Reformation 2.0, and oh man. And what it is, is it's a Torah observer's apologetic book that tries to answer all or as many of the questions that their Christian friends will bring to them about why they're observing the Torah. And that's what it is in a nutshell. It goes, and the way it like goes through all those questions is that it looks at all the contradictions that are created in church doctrine when you believe that the law of Yah is no longer applicable to our modern day lives. Mm -hmm. And so then it just lays out 25 contradictions that are instantly created when you believe that. And it says, this is why this is a contradiction. And it pulls out a verse that says one thing and a verse that is interpreted to say something that is contrary to that. And so that is what we do. We go through those and we say, well, there is another way that you could read this verse. And and it would maintain consistency in your like biblical view. And so that's it. That's what it is. <laughs> awesome. So share with us, like just for everyone who's listening to kind of start getting an idea, like give me an example. What, what kind of contradictions are you talking about here? Okay. I think one of the most blatant and easy to explain example would be that in Leviticus 11, it says not all God says not all meat is clean. This is how we word it. Mm -hmm. And then in Mark 7, Yeshua says all meat is clean. And so then we hold those two verses up and say, are are these, are Yah and Yeshua, like, are they contradicting each other? Or are we reading something wrong? And so then we explore, we say perspective one and perspective two. We basically say, we say popular theology, colon, and we give their explanation and show why, what the contradictions created. And we pull out the verses that that maintain those. And then we say the truth, colon. And we say, <laughs> this is what it means. And, or what it could mean without, and, and still uh, hold a logical Christianity. Oh yeah. You know, what's interesting about like, when we talk about something that seems like a contradiction in the word is I found that sometimes uh, so we, we kind of have this contradiction, we seem, it, se it seems, right? And then we have an option of like, okay, which one, first of all, we have a bias. Like we, first of all, we have a, which one do we want it to be, right? Like all of us have a, we hope it's this one, right, inside of us. And I think that in some ways it may have been that, that bias, that hope that are, that's really driven by our own flesh mm -hmm. um, may have actually been at the, the, the driver of how we have approached some of these quote unquote contradictions um, throughout the history of God's church, you know, and then through the lenses of that, we have interpreted to mean something. But I think, you know, what God is, and, and tell me what you think, but I, but I think God is calling his people to just go back to kind of square one with all of this and look at everything his word says, putting away all of what we wanted to say, what we hope for it to be, and just being like, God, what do you really, what is your heart really behind this? And ultimately, how can we be more like you? 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I had to adopt this thing in my head, especially when really trying to like get into Torah and understanding some laws that feel obscure and things I just can't square even now that if it seems off or wrong to me in scripture, like something that Yah is commanding us to do, something I don't understand, it's me who has the problem. And I just pray that he like corrects me and aligns me so I understand the goodness and what he's asked. And I'm not gonna understand everything, but I have to like adopt that mindset. Um, not that this looks unjust or unfair or whatever, but it's probably my problem. <laughs> That's absolutely, you know, I think that it, it's not just about, you know, the way you eat or, or, you know, the, the fourth commandment, whether that's relevant today, whether the Sabbath is for, for believers today, which is another hot, controversial one, right? Um, it's not even just about the feast days, you know, whether the biblical feast days are relevant to the laws of believers today. But it's about even the bigger question and conversation that all of this sparks, because it's very relevant to all of what we believe and stand for. Because, I mean, if you think about, for example, uh, a lot of the strange movements that are happening today, a lot of the strange out there um, things that we see on the world stage, even politically occurring right now, right? Um, with what is a woman, right? What's, what is gender and, and, you know, all of this. And all of this is, you know, it started within the the churches, right? It started in the movements of of in, within the churches, the people who are supposed to stand up and say this is right and this is wrong. The compromise really starts there, and then the world sees that, and they're like, "Yeah, that's fine. Let's go with that." And I think it, a lot of what we see, and this is, I guess, my point with this is a lot of what we see is that they have simply learned the world. Let me say. And when really all of these progressive churches have learned what they are doing from the what we could call the traditional mainstream church, because ultimately, you know, as uh, the the mainstream, if I can just broadly use this term, you know, the church, we see that there's been a lot of this, what you're talking about, Luke, of that picking of what is relevant and kind of picking a side of what we want the contradict to actually be and then when when the when other people see that they see a compromise they see a well you're picking something because that's what you, how you want to live right. right and the issue is that you can just continue on that thread of well mom and dad and the church i went to growing up they picked and chose what commands were relevant or applicable to them why can't I continue that tradition and pick and choose what I feel is applicable to me and you have in the progressive Christian movement, homosexuality and abortion, all these things that are being even promoted as you can do it as a Christian. It's a good thing. It's wonderful. Let's celebrate it. But it all comes from, you can say, the mainstream traditional church saying, well, we can pick and choose which things in God's law are relevant to us. But it's like what you guys have probably come across as well, you know, when you're trying to reach out to someone, maybe it's about the festivals or the Sabbath, and you get the response of, well, I bet you eat pork. And, you know, or I bet you were clothed with mixed fabric. Or if you reach out to someone about like, oh, Halloween, it's, you know, there's, there's paganism and their stuff is not good, it's evil, it's dark. And, you know, as believers, we shouldn't want to have anything to do with the darkness. Oh, well, if you say that, then I hope you don't celebrate Christmas because it also has stuff. You know, these things that they'll say that they're thinking are going to be a checkmate. They're going to try to pin you that, oh, wait, you say I'm not keeping this command? Well, you're not keeping it either. But that's the thing. We need to also look at our own lives and have that self-reflection that we are not walking hypocritically as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think as you have both pointed out, um, non-believers are very quick to pick up on any, like, note of hypocrisy or contradiction within our belief. Yeah. And so, of course, they're going to pick out the fact that um, it's called an abomination to for gay men to be together, and it's also called an abomination to eat pork or unclean food. And so they'll say, well, why aren't you being consistent? Why aren't you being logical in your belief system? And like you said, you can like foresee that checkmate and, and align your doctrine. Now, it's not even about foreseeing what someone will say and then saying, okay, well, I have to have a consistent faith. It's about what's true. And, mm -hmm. and, and if, exactly. and, and the Bible is all really about this code of like, what's wrong and what's right. And what choice would Yah make if he were in 
our position because mm -hmm. we're made in his image. Mm -hmm. And so if we choose the things that he would do, which is his law, I think, then we will have a totally consistent, non-hypocritical um, lifestyle. And it'll also happen to align with Yeshua's and Paul's and Peter's and all the rest of the apostles. And so uh, that is one of these benefits of, I guess, being Torah observant. And also it's like you said, PD, society and progressive Christianity is, is slowly like shifting its moral code to align with the shifting morals, morality of right. society, whichever society you happen to be a part of. And so I think from continent to continent almost, you'll have a slight shift of, of either left or right, but either way, it's all relative because the only absolute definition of any of it is the Torah. So as soon as we start rewriting it in this denomination or that denomination no. or in this country or that country, we're going to have a man who's choosing the laws that y'all already chose. So exactly. that doesn't make sense. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. There are, you know, you have you. I can see people may look at what we're saying here and they'll say things like you guys are talking about you know, you're trying to put us all back under the law, right? You're, you're trying to, bondage. You're, <laughs> uh, you're going back to the old covenant and so forth. And, and, you know, but what I want to say to that is just that, you know, a lot of what we see is actually people saying, okay, well, we're part of the new covenant, right? The law is written on our heart and that is the new covenant. But what they then mean by what they say is actually, I can follow my heart is it's disney I, all over again follow your heart <laughs> <laughs> yes it's follow your heart is is really that i i look at what god says but i really follow my heart as to how i approach what god says and when we then now see the the people uh like the progressive christian movement you know they are doing the same they're basically saying follow what feels good follow what what seems good not necessarily follow what is good according to what God said is good, which is very different sometimes from what our heart says, which can be deceitfully wicked. So what is like, Christina, what does follow your heart? I mean, what does it mean? Let me say it like this. What does it mean to have the law written on your heart? Like that new covenant as in Jeremiah, as it's written? Well, it's amazing because like what you were saying, the concept when we hear it in the church as well, we don't need to keep the, the written law, the 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 Torah stuff that 613 commands because we have the law written on our hearts, like you were saying. But again, it's been translated to being whatever my heart feels is relevant or I want to do <laughs> based on your denomination. But what does it mean in scripture? It's that the whole word of God would be written on your heart. And the Holy Spirit would convict you, would enable you, would empower you to actually walk out the full word of God as you are able to, to again, look like Yeshua and to walk like Yeshua who did this. Amen. It's good. And that's why I think what you guys are doing is so important because it brings to light really all of this and it allows us to have a witness and a faith that's that's consistent, but also just like you said, Luke, simply this is what truth is and let's stick to what tru truth is, you know? Right. Well, thank you. Yeah, I hope, that, I hope the book can help in some way. If only as a reference, if nothing else, for people who are like, oh, my friend asked me this. And what I, I, I knew it, but you know, I kind of forgot or whatever. I mean, the book, it's not just me like, hey, this is the wisdom that you need to have. It's, I did a bunch of research of the guys who are smart, who have already answered these questions. And then I tried to just, you know, make it sound cute or, or add something <laughs> new if I could or not. I just, I'm just saying, hey, this, this is already answered already. So it's just, here's a single source of this information, if nothing else. And, you know, I think that is to jump in on you guys. I think it's so cool to have like one place where a lot of these or I guess you say like all as much as you can of these, you can say controversial verses, misunderstood verses can be addressed neatly and easily. So you can just open up the book and wait a minute. I had a conversation with a friend. I wasn't sure how to answer this verse because she brought it up and I'm confused. Open up the truth Reformation 2.0 and you'll be able to be able to easily find that verse and the understanding of what the Bible is really saying about that verse. And I think that's super cool. Let's take one of them. Uh, I think the Sabbath is a very important one. Share with us just kind of briefly, like what are your thoughts on that? Why do you think that commandment is important? I think one of the more powerful parts of the Sabbath 
chapter is just mentioning how if the Sabbath were just agreed, if Sunday were agreed upon in early like Christian circles as just the day that we're supposed to be now celebrating the Sabbath, then why was it debated all the way to 300, 400 AD? And why is in Rome, Constantine is like demanding that Sunday at 321 AD be like the day of worship rather than the Sabbath specifically because the Jews are doing it. And so that was, that's actually just an aside in that chapter. But uh, yeah, that was the first thing that came to mind. Oh yeah, I love that. It's a wonderful thing. So the one thing that comes to my mind is like, yes, all these things are commands and they're commands because they're good for you. It's like um, they, I think obedience is just something that would lead to life and disobedience is just something that would lead to death. And God has showed us in a very like granular way what's what, so we don't have to guess. And um, I think you start that chapter with sort of a funny, like, not, it's like a, it's a little artsy. You're talking, you, you kind of move through how Sabbath, how Sunday and Sabbath feels for different people. It's like, this is kind of how it feels for, you know, an Orthodox Jew, kind of how it feels for traditional Christians. And, and, um, it can look all these different ways. And then what does scripture actually say about how you keep it? And it's pretty like clean and simple. It's like, don't work, don't make others work, have a, you know, um, holy convocation. And uh, it's nice to like, if people are interested in keeping Sabbath, cut through a lot of the confusion about how you might do that. It's like, can I flip a light switch? You know, that's really good. There's um, things that can cloud it. And we also look at, okay, what, what were the apostles and what was Yeshua doing? What, what do we have them? What picture do we have of them and their interaction with the Sabbath day and or Sunday? And so we go through that too. And yeah. Oh, oh, and Colossians too. And all the other things like, yeah. uh, you know, let, just be fully convinced in your own mind that this is yeah. the day. And oh, <laughs> oh man. And the, tra the tradition versus like commandment. You know, okay, I always mention this. I can't get off of this. It's so important to me. You know, when Yeshua tells like kind of the religious leaders that your traditions are making void the commands, you're making it impossible to keep commands because of these things you've invented. To me, Sunday worship is like the perfect example. It's like we have this tradition as Christians, we're going to commemorate Yeshua's resurrection, and that's a you know a wonderful thing. And then in doing that, we're going to neglect to do the actual biblical fourth commandment. And I think it's not pleasing to our Heavenly Father when we like invent something that we think would be a nice gift for him while also neglecting something that was a gift for us. So, right. yeah. Oh, yeah. The tradition <laughs> thing is, is so huge, right? We, we see that a lot of, like you guys just said, um, when we look at what the average Christian thinks of when you say the Sabbath, they think immediately about the Orthodox Judaic perspective of what the Sabbath is and how it's to be kept from their very traditional perspective. And mm -hmm. some of it, of course, is a burden. Some of it is in line, in line with the very burdens that Yeshua basically came against when he was uh, having his earthly ministry. And so it's very important, like you said, to just communicate, well, look, there's actually a lot of this stuff that's just not supposed to be there. And it's actually such behind it all, when you just come back down to the basics of what the Bible says, it's such an incredible blessing. It's a joy. Yeah, but you don't see that joy or that blessing if you just are surrounded with and clouded with traditions of men. You, mm -hmm. know? you know, it's funny also that a lot of people, or I could say in mainstream Christianity, they're talking about Sabbath and speaking against it. They've never kept the Sabbath. Oh, yeah. So they are speaking from a place of non-experience. But I just want to like invite you guys, if this is something that's a new concept, you've never heard of this, or maybe you have and you've been on the fence, try it out. Because actually the Sabbath is such a blessing and you'll be blessed. Oh, amen. And, you know, another thing that this all ties back to is the biblical feast days, because it's very similar. Um, you have a lot of... Uh, like Katie said, you know, you have these traditions of men that have replaced the commandment of God. And that has happened. We have had, we've got all our, our feasts, um, even today when we're recording this, it's Halloween, right? One of the <laughs> feasts of, that the world loves to celebrate. Um, and, you know, believers like to celebrate it too, and they will celebrate other feasts that aren't 
in the Bible. Because, you know, for a feast to be biblical, it has to be in the Bible. It's kind of how it works. You know, so um, we have all these feasts that are not in the Bible. They're not biblical. They're from man somewhere. Some of them are more questionable than others. But nonetheless, what they have done is they have replaced what is actually in the Bible, that there are actually feasts in the Bible. And the Bible even says in the book of Zechariah 14, chapter 14, 16, it talks about how we're even going to be celebrating, for example, one of them, Sukkot, when, when you sh in this new kingdom to come. So if they're going to be relevant in the future, how much more relevant are they even as we're looking forward to that fulfillment of these feasts, mm -hmm. you know? Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that the traditions are so important for us to, to, to cut through. And that's exactly what Yeshua did in his ministry. So mm -hmm. some things never change, right? <laughs> rich they're so good like i think as a christian there's a natural draw to like think about passover like wow you mm. see the imagery what i love about it is every element of it is theologically juicy you know you're not having to strain at making these connections between like an easter egg and new life and i don't know why we're hiding it like you know that stuff doesn't really it doesn't stem from scripture but when you look at the feast they map out the whole Luke calls it the hero's journey of a believer where God's taking his people and Yeshua's ministry. And I think before not having any sort of understanding of any of them beyond maybe Passover, I didn't realize like, oh, first fruits, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. Like, I thought that, you know, yeah, I didn't think of celebrating the resurrection. So there just wasn't a thing. And that's why we had to invent Easter, you know, but it's like, of course, he's more thoughtful than we are. And of course, these things are going to be so resonant and you're going to learn and get closer to him as you celebrate them. And it's funny, there's no timestamp on all these laws and especially, you know, on the feasts. It's not as if Yah says, OK, you're going to do this from like Mount Sinai to 1300 years later when Yeshua resurrects mm -hmm. or or you or you're going to do this until you decide to, you know, celebrate the birth of, of my son and, and of, mm -hmm. of Easter. I mean, and, and his death as well. So, uh, no, no, they're relevant through like the end of this age. Yeah. And they're even still prophetic, the fall feasts. So yes, it's pretty cool. And one of the things that we do point out about the feasts in the book is Yeshua fulfilled some of the spring feasts with like by being the Passover lamb and then by sending the Holy Spirit and being the first fruits like resurrection. Mm -hmm. um, but you still see his closest followers observing these things right after he fulfilled them. So it's mm -hmm. not as if once they're fulfilled, they lose their meaning. Uh, they didn't, at least for them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a cue to take. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm just thinking like, how incredible it is that our father gave us these festivals, these appointed times. And I remember when my mom first read Leviticus 23, way back when I was a child, and she came across the verse of you know, Leviticus 23 talking about these festivals. And it was like, God, can I keep these Jewish feasts too? Is what she asked the father. And that's when he spoke to her and said, these aren't Jewish feasts, as in only, right? These are my feasts. So if you love me, if you worship me, they're for you because they're mine. It literally says that in Leviticus 23. These are my appointed times. And they are applicable to anyone who follows the God of Israel because they all point to Yeshua. Passover, first fruits, like has been mentioned, um, Shavuot, or also called Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given. But of course, why have we kind of put aside as mainstream Christianity, we're starting to get involved in like, oh, Passover Seders. I, see, I know a lot of churches are starting to be Passover Seders, and that's wonderful. But let's not forget about the fall festivals because they point to our king's return. Mm. And that is exciting. You get to take part. You get to celebrate. You get to make yourself ready like the virgins with their oil, prepared and looking forward to the sound of the shofar, the sound of the trumpet when our king, when our bridegroom Yeshua returns. And that's what the fall festivals all point to, which is so exciting. Mm. I, and I think what you, you touched on a big stumbling block there with people is they'll say things like, Oh, those feasts, like from the Bible, but they're Jewish, right? That's mm -hmm. what people would say. And and I think there's a big disconnect, you know, within the body. That's, we are, you know, this idea of we are the church and we are separate from Israel. 
And so therefore God gave thanks for Israel and we have a new covenant that do not have those things, right? But at the same time, we all do believe that we're grafted in, right? Like Paul <laughs> talks about being grafted into Israel, that olive tree, and how Yeshua allowed us to be to be coming in. And so that means that it's not like, like God sees his people, no Jew, no Gentile. Mm. He sees us all as his children as we come into covenant with him. And with that comes all the promises and all of the joys of being to partake in all of the things mm. that he has given us to take joy in. Uh, mm. And so, you know, when, when Christina says, uh, you know, what her mom experienced that these aren't Jewish, these are my feasts. It's not that it's not that the that the Jews don't have a place. Of course, oh, of they course. are. We love our Jewish brothers and sisters Absolutely. and they 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 the feasts are for them to partake in. Amen. But it's yes. not uh, God didn't just give it for a tribe. He gave it for all of those who would be able to come in through Yeshua. Right. And that's why we hear in the Torah where it talks about a mixed multitude coming out of Egypt not just you can say the the natural born israelite but those who were egyptian those who were not of the line of jacob but yet who wanted to cling onto the god of israel exactly from the beginning like even at mount sinai there wasn't just native born israelites there they were pagan egyptians a mixed multitude who decided hey i want to follow that god he looks amazing he did these wonders i'm gonna go follow him and they stood there and they trembled and they heard from the mountain and they were instructed in the same things that the native-borns were instructed in. Right, as it says, one law for the natural-born and one law for the foreigner. Yeah, do you, do you guys find that to be a thing too? What do you think about that? About, oh, Israel, being a part of Israel? That's a big part it's, of the book. I mean, yeah. yeah. That, that's the second chapter, and that was maybe the first time that we started thinking, oh, we need to use some kind of visual element to help people mm-hmm. see this and that's when we that was one of the first venn diagrams that we did where where it just shows how the church sees israel and the jews and the church is all separate things with overlap of believing jews mm-hmm. and then the truth which is that israel is all true believers yeah. and jew, gentile. jew gentile whatnot and I I, that's <laughs> yeah yeah yep. and so uh yeah yeah that is very important that's a big like hurdle, I think, a mental hurdle. Like you were uh, mm. mentioning, Christina, like can I, your mom is saying, can I celebrate these Jewish things? Because mm. they don't feel like your heritage as just like a regular Christian. Um, these things that we've seen like Jewish people keep and follow for such a long time. But once you begin to see your identity as Israel and part of God's family, it's like the whole Bible reads differently. You have this like connection with all the patriarchs and like everybody all the way through and um yeah you're not voyeurs that's what i say in the book (laughs) it's like a mental shift where you're like oh i'm reading about all these jewish people who are different than me and i'm you know uh an outsider really and like Mm. growing up in church you would hear like the pastors and stuff talk about like they would claim like the blessings because like the blessings in the Torah is so rich. Like the church I went to, they were like, yeah, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm a, you know, lender, not the borrower. And all those like things that sound like you're just balling, you know, from um, all these like blessings in Deuteronomy 28, you would see them really like claim that for themselves. Um, but at the same time, there's a flip side to that, which is like the obedience. You need to walk and follow after Yah and seek his face. And like, you know, all these things will be added or whatever. Um, so it's like a almost of two minds kind of thing because you know these promises are good for you as well not just material things but spiritual promises but you also don't quite think you're Israel and the stipulations attached to them don't apply to you so that was not there wasn't continuity there for me before I thought that I was part of this family yeah it's this inherent dispensationalist doctrine in mainstream church that makes us think we're something other than the people of Yah. And the whole Bible is the story of Israel. So I don't know, that's nice to be part of that. Exactly. You know, another thing that I think has been a stumbling block for a lot of people in Christianity, and I know, I mean, I know growing up, I thought the same thing is, well, the law of God is organized into three different things. There's the ceremonial law, the civil law, and the moral law. 
And a lot of Christians are like, well, yeah, we'll keep the moral law because, you know, like Ten Commandments or <clears throat> Nine Commandments. Um, <laughs> I'll do these things because <laughs> the moral law is what reflects God's eternal, unchanging character. But the ceremonial stuff, the civil stuff, like, you know, how would that apply to me? Henceforth, not needed, don't need to worry about that, or even, you know, abolished. Mm. But it's interesting because the Westminster, or Westminster Confession and I forget the date, 1646, I believe, organized a lot of, or organized these three um, boxes, you can say, to put commandments into. But what's interesting is when you look at Leviticus chapter 19, I'm going to just read it really quick. So Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1, God says something quite amazing. He says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. Okay? If a moral law is something that reflects God's eternal character, well, if he's saying, be holy as I am holy, do this to reflect my eternal holy character, let's let's listen. Okay. Verse uh, 3. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Good. Check mark. We got that. Moral law. Set. But then it goes on to say, and keep my Sabbaths, for I am the Lord your God. Like, whoa, God just literally said something that we've tried to say is, oh, that's a ceremonial law, the Sabbath. But according to God, it actually reflects his eternal, unchanging character. And what I love about Leviticus chapter 19 is it goes through all these different types of commands, um, reaping the harvest and helping the poor and not listening to mediums, not sacrificing your children, things that are sometimes... We put agree on the, those. Sometimes <laughs> put into the moral category box, moral law category box, and as you put it into the ceremonial, it doesn't matter. But God says multiple times throughout Leviticus 19 and through Leviticus 20, do these things or don't do these things so you can be holy as I am holy to be like me in this way. But it's interesting because then at the end of Leviticus chapter 20, God says this crazy thing. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nations which I am casting out before you. For they commit all these things, therefore I abhor them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land. I will give it to you possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. But then he says this, you shall therefore distinguish between clean animals and unclean, between unclean birds and clean, and you shall not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean, for you shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Mm. You know, if you think about it, so he's he's coupling all of these together. It's not like, you know, we've tried with man's tradition to create separations of ceremonial or moral or, you know, whatever, civil. and. Exactly. But when you think about it, they're all civil, ceremonial, uh, and moral. And to some extent, to they're some extent, connected. they're all because, you know, when you look about, look at the Sabbath, there were um, civil um, instructions regarding it, uh, civil um, ideas regarding the Sabbath mm -hmm. of when it's broken, what is to happen, right? There are, it's a moral thing because it's about remember the Sabbath because, right? you know, Right, exactly, because God himself kept the Sabbath. Because he keep, keeps yeah. it, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not just a, um, oh, that seems ceremonial because it's a day. Well, no, God considers it moral because it's for him so important. Uh, it's just about us not considering it the same, seeing it the same way he does, that right. causes us to deprioritize it. Right, exactly. And seeing the way Yeshua described, like when Yeshua spoke in the Matthew 5, he wasn't <laughs> saying, well, this is, uh, you know, that command is not relevant anymore. He sort of combined civil, ceremonial, and moral laws all into one big, this is the law, yeah. this is something you should walk in, and it's all good, it's all truth. Mm. Mm. But of course, I guess it's important at this point to just state that while you have all of these instructions, not all of them are can be capped by everyone, right? right? There are, and I'm, I'm sure, Luke, you talk about this in your book too, uh, you know, there are, you know, th uh, laws for women, there are laws for men, there are laws for priests. And in fact, you know, most, uh, I don't know if I would use the word most, I'm not sure statistically, but a lot of them have to do with the temple and the Levitical services and so forth. Or if you're in the land. Or if you're in the land, right, what you do there. Um, so 
But that doesn't mean that what is there, what is relevant to us today, in, in other words, what is for me as a man to how I ought to walk before the Lord, mm -hmm. that remains, that is important. And mm -hmm. I guess, uh, and I'm talking a lot, but I just want to read this verse here. Uh, Matthew 5.19, Yeshua speaks about this. He says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, and he's specifically speaking about the lawyer, the Torah, and he says, whoever uh, relaxes the least of these and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so what we are really all talking about here today is something very simple. It's how do we look like Yeshua? How do we walk like our Messiah? Who, by the way, he was a Jew. He was Jewish. He was born Jewish, right? Jewish mother. So uh, ultimately, like he grew up in that culture, but you know he he, he he threw aside the traditions that came against the purity of God's word, mm -hmm. and so that is what he is calling us to to imitate him, and that's really what all four of us here, I think, today are simply talking about. If you're confused, you're listening to us, and you're like, this sounds strange. Well, we are just saying at the end of it, walk like Yeshua. That's all we're saying is look at what he did and imitate him. It's literally the 90s bracelet, WWJD. <laughs> yeah. What would Jesus, Yeshua do? And then do it. Amen. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Oh, man, that's the first chapter of the book. I have WWJD. I cross it out and I say DWJD. Because I, I, I use Jesus and God throughout the book for yeah. relatability and to yeah. coincide with the, me citing this English scripture. But anyway, I say do what Jesus did. Do what you see him doing. Don't ask what he's doing. Because the what would Jesus do is this constant uh -huh. question as if we don't already know. Yeah. But the do what Jesus did is just live the way you lived. And so that's the idea. It's flip it. Just live the way you lived and don't say, oh, that was something for him for his time. It wasn't for me. It's for us. Yeah. And to touch on the moral civil ceremonial thing, Christians all think, yes, the law has to be from God's character. It has to be like this eternal thing that's like part of his like infinite goodness. Because he because he gave us good things. He 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 gives his children good things. But like it's broken up into those three things. One, there is no three distinct classifications in the scripture. Exactly. And two, once there's a theocracy again, what civil laws will he use? Once there's a temple uh, again in Ezekiel's temple time when Yeshua is here with us on earth, what temple laws will he use? So why why not use the ones that he said would last forever? Um, yeah. And putting moral on one of the categories makes it feel like not everything Yah does is moral. Like everything he does is morally oh, yeah. good enough, right? This is the section of things that are morally relevant. It makes the rest of them sound arbitrary and thus like easier to kind of brush aside. But like you said, it's true. We can't enact civil laws right now. We're not in a theocracy where people have opted into the constitution of Israel and we don't have like judges and courts that are judging based on mm. Torah. And mm. also just, we will say that most Christians keep a ton of Torah, tons oh, yeah. of it. It's yeah. just so funny that a couple things, a handful of things um, are like sticking points that have creeped into the other two categories of law we can't keep anymore, but they're so doable, like food and Shabbat um, and like feast days. Yeah, feast days and yes. seats. It's like all these very visible things that have become the things that we've lost, but they're very much doable right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Luke, just something you said on the, um, I think you said, what did Jesus do, right? And, you know, a lot of people, they would talk to that and they would say things like, you know, he needs to repeat a Torah, a, a commandment found in the Old Testament in the New Testament in order for it to still be relevant. You know, I've heard that before. It's kind of like a everything is abolished except the things that he has reinforced again in his earthly ministry. And, you know, that's kind of, I guess, what you're you're getting at there is, you know, but we don't have to ask even that question because when you look at what Yeshua says about when he speaks about the Torah and the laws within there, you know, he talks in Matthew 5, 17, right? He says, do not think, right? I have come to abolish those things. I have come to fulfill them, 
right? The law or the prophets. And then he says, until heaven and earth pass away, not an odor or a dot will pass until all is accomplished. So we see that there's this reinforcement already. And then you have to ask, okay, then he goes and he says in verse 20, Matthew 5, 20, I say to you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so we have to ask, what is that righteousness, right? People say things like, well, that is to believe in Yeshua. And of course, right, we have a righteousness that is given to us because we have, or say by faith, we have faith in him, we believe in him. But look at what he says after he makes that statement. He says, he goes and he talks about a list of things, right? Matthew 5, 22, he talks about being angry with your brother. And he says, you're liable to judgment. If you call him a fool, you're going to be liable to hellfire, right? And he's, so he's speaking about actions and works. He's talking about how you live and what you do. Mm-hmm. And, and this is also going to be making up our, how, whether we are actually living righteously, whether we have evidence of the faith we proclaim in the, in the means of works that are changing, because that's what repentance is. It's, it's a changing of your works and how you live. It's not just a, I believe in Jesus, but I live like the world, right? Mm-hmm. That's, you don't believe in what you say you do, because true belief and faith in something is going to change the way you act. And so I think it's very important for us to remember that Yeshua, when he comes to us, he, we don't have to, like Luke said, we don't have to wonder because you already said, look to what my father has given you in the beginning. In fact, he says in 1 John, John 2, 7, beloved, I'm writing no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. So what is that old commandment and why is our New Testament pointing back to it? And of course, Yeshua then coming and building upon it with, with, with bringing more revelation, more fulfillment, more meaning to those, but not getting rid of those. Now, I know that a lot of people have either asked this themselves or been asked, well, if you try to keep the law, then you need to keep the whole law, you know, but actually, how would you respond to that? Well, okay. Well, first off, all right, when we were talking about like the Torah commandments, you know, mm-hmm. we, we have this number 613 in our, in our minds, right? Yeah. Whatever number you want to put on it. We have this number that's big and we say, that's a burden, that's huge. Like, how are we going to do that? Right? That kind of thing. And, but the problem is, is that in our New Testament, we have, depending on how you count it, we have 800 to 1,050 commandments given there, right? right? So, you know, to argue that, well, look, uh, you need to keep all of these commandments. Well, you've always needed to keep commandments. There's nothing new about that idea. Uh, the, but ultimately, we have to remember that uh, when we, when that's that scripture you're talking about, right? With if you if you fail in one, you 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 fail in all of them. He's talking about being a hypocrite. He's saying, do not keep this commandment, and you 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 parade this commandment about how well you're keeping this commandment. And I think this is for all of us to listen to, actually, right? We don't want to be parading a commandment and be like, this is the one that no one keeps. We should be keeping this one. But then we're actually hypocrites because we're watching pornography behind mm-hmm. closed doors, right. or or where we don't love our neighbor, or we don't want to do whatever, you know. Uh, so he's he's making that point that it is no it doesn't help that you you parade this commandment you love this commandment you keep this commandment like the Pharisees in the first century did, but they don't even look after their parents. Yeah, yeah. And it's also mm-hmm. this the misunderstanding of the justification and sanctification that no we're not saved by how well we can keep the law. Of course, we're saved through Jesus through Yeshua by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. Mm-hmm. It is a gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. Mm-hmm. But we are His workmanship, created in Yeshua Messiah for good works to be able to walk this out. That is a sanctification process. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> You're just hitting me with it here. <laughs> That's an illustration in the book, actually, what you just said, Christina, because. Mm-hmm. We were talking about Luke was studying a ton about like righteousness and it shall be your righteousness and all this different stuff. And um, you get accusations of like you're trying to earn your own salvation and self-righteousness and stuff like that, which, first of all, you can't earn your own salvation because if you need salvation, you're already not perfect. And if you're not perfect, you can't earn it. But the other thing is there are kind of two kinds of righteousness in scriptures. And so there's this illustration. um, Sorry, I hear a kid coming down the stairs. (laughs) There's an illustration in the book that shows that to 
enter into eternal life, we need Yeshua's righteousness, and that's the only way. Once we've entered into eternal life and we are rewarded, that's based on how we stewarded, stewarded our own actions during our lives. Um, and so those two things are separate, though. Yes. <laughs> but of course, Amen. like Peter said, you believe. And so your belief is evidenced by your behavior, but your behavior is not getting you in. But I think exactly. it does control kind of like your goodie bag <laughs> once you get there. Right. Right. Like Yeshua said, there is, it's the awkward conversation that none of us want to talk about. There is somewhat of a hierarchy system in heaven because there is a greater, greatest and a least. And that's something Yeshua himself said. This is not commentary. This is something literally our Messiah, our King said. And so keeping that in mind, I want to not be the least. I want to follow my Messiah in every way I possibly can. Um, so, yeah. Amen. So like I said, you know, I think that this is all about walking like Yeshua. And that's why when we look at his life and we start looking closer at like, you know, the New Testament and what's written about his life and written about the disciples, we, we read things like how he stood up at the Feast of Tabernacles of Sukkot, right? And he, he proclaims like, I am the living water. If you're thirsty, come to me. You see him keeping feast days. You see him keeping the Sabbath, being in the synagogue in the book of Luke. Um, and we see him going going forth and, and and teaching his disciples this. So when we come to like Paul, we see Paul saying the same, right? He's like, I must by all means go to keep this feast yeah. coming in Jerusalem, mm. right? Uh, exactly. Do you have any other idea? Well, the reason why it's because, I mean, the Sabbath, when Yeshua went around healing people on the Sabbath, it was actually bringing the fullness of what Sabbath is all about. Mm. How the Sabbath, just like the festivals we talked about earlier, all point to something greater, to something beautiful and incredible that God will be bringing freedom. He'll be bringing just restoration to his people. And, and this is a day that we can enter into his rest. And so as Yeshua kept each of these commandments, it's because there's something so incredible and beautiful here that God invites us all to take part in as well. Amen. Do you guys have any uh, more thoughts surrounding that and, and concluding thoughts about this topic we, you can share with us? So we did this Reformation Day event because today we're filming this on Reformation Day. And yesterday, a bunch of people went to a bunch of different churches and they put on the door a list of contradictions from the book, but also just in the mainstream church doctrine. I think it was, a, it was a ton of people. It was like hundreds of churches. I couldn't believe all the people that did it, but one pastor at one of these churches got one of the flyers and he kind of angrily emailed me because we have our email on the site that it links to. And he said, well, why aren't you concentrating on important things like um, making disciples? And I wrote back to him and said, yeah, the great commission, making disciples and teaching them the things that, Yeshua commanded us to do is exactly what this is about. The truth or whatever <laughs> is about getting back to the things that help us to make good disciples that are grounded in a strong mm. and true moral code, the same one that Yeshua is grounded in. And that's what I wanted to say, because I, I've, I had, I've heard that before. Katie has mentioned that before, and she made, made us like address it in the book, this idea that that why, why are you concentrating on the minutia in the Old Testament mm -hmm. scripture instead of, you know, the, the, the Great Commission? Yeah. But it's all tied together. Yes. That's so good, yeah. actually. It is all tied together. Yeah. It is all one and the same. Yeah, God, God is calling his people to a worship of spirit and truth, but you can't worship in him in spirit. You can't make disciples. You can't have that living water flow through you if you don't have the knowledge of the truth to teach them that. And written on your heart. Yeah. And because that, that, like Luke said, right, that brings a, a strong foundation built on the rock, right? Because Yeshua is that rock and he is the truth, like manifest. And mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about is being like he was, right? So when we have that, okay, we have the truth. Now let's go and let, let's do that. Let's go and do make disciples. Let's go and yes. seek how God can use us as he used that Acts church, like we read in the book of mm -hmm. Acts, because I don't believe that that's abolished either, right? Exactly, exactly. And the important thing as we're studying and learning the, the things in God's word that are true festivals and Sabbaths and these things that are beautiful, we need to, like you're saying, not forget 
to step out our front door and take it to the world. This is not just about something for ourselves to keep mm. to ourselves. This is about, like Yeshua said, at the Feast of Tabernacles, out of you will flow rivers of living water. Out of you will flow for what purpose? Mm. To quench the thirst of a world that's dying of thirst. Amen. Mm. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been such an awesome conversation. I was so excited about this. I know it's gonna bless many people. Um, is there any last thoughts that you wanna add? And then following that, could you, uh, Luke, could you pray for us, closing us off in prayer? Sure. Do you have any last thoughts and then I'll I don't pray. know. I think Christina said it pretty <laughs> Yeah, beautifully. I think so too. I think I'm just gonna yeah, I just agree totally. Yeah. Cool. All right. I guess I'll pray then. Thank you. <laughs> Dear Father, thank you so much for PD and Christina and all that they're doing. And thank you for everyone who is listening to this now. I pray that you will bless them. And if they have any questions, I pray that you will answer them. And I pray that they will seek you with all of their heart, soul, and might because they will find you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Could you share how people can get your resources? Sure. Our website is the way doc, like D O C like documentary.com. And the, the book, the truth is at the way slash the truth. And they can watch the book trailer and read about it. And there's an, it, there's an interesting page right now. Because it is thewaydoc.com slash reformation. And this is where anyone who got one of these flyers will go. But it's like a short, very truncated like defense or apologetic of, of the four kind of or five things that we do differently than mainstream Christians. Like the Sabbath, food, tzitzit, yeah. holidays. And so that is kind of interesting to see if anyone's interested in checking that out. If you want a resource to pass along to like a... Um a yeah. Christian friend or a family member who might not be ready to like read a whole book or, you know, watch even a whole movie or video and they just want to read some scripture to get them started. It also links out to like other short articles that they can read about Sabbath and food and feasts and all that. Awesome. Thank you guys for sharing. And thank you all for being here with us, joining us in this uh, recording and listening to this conversation. I pray that this has blessed you. Please share this. I think this is good news. Actually, this is good news. That's what the Bible calls it. The good news of salvation that Yeshua has come to give us and the ways in which he has called us to come and walk a way of freedom yes. and blessing. That is really what yes. this all is. You can see it on my face. I'm happy. I'm full of joy <laughs> because I have been set free and so has all of us because he's so good. So if you want this joy, if you want this freedom, like it is available to you. He has died for you to have and be able to take part in all of it. Uh, so yes, if that's you, hey, you can reach out to us, send us an email and uh, we'd love to be there for you, however we can be. So may God bless you guys and we'd love to see you again here soon. Many blessings and shalom. 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 Thank you guys.